You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Michael Davidson, President of the National Lip Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Illuminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. Today, our guest is Dr. Alan J. Taylor, Professor of Medicine in the Department of Medicine at Georgetown University. He presently serves as the Director of Advanced Cardiac Imaging at the Washington Hospital Center and MedStart Research Health Institute in Washington, D.C. Today, Dr. Taylor and I are going to discuss imaging for atherosclerosis, its appropriate clinical use, and the pluses and minuses of different imaging techniques, as well as how we can use imaging techniques to predict patients' risk for cardiovascular disease. Alan, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. I know you've been involved in some of the new appropriateness criteria and clinical guidelines for imaging, and let's limit the discussion to imaging for subclinical atherosclerosis. And as you know, we're always trying to look for global risk of a population, but as a physician, you kind of want to identify what's Mrs. Johnson's risk, what's the risk of the individual. And you've mentioned to me in the past that you think there's a potential for abuse there and also some positive information. So can you tell us a little bit about how imaging can be used to help us guide patient care? You know, 2010 was a really interesting year. There was a lot of new statements with respect to imaging for atherosclerosis detection and for refining the risk for future coronary heart disease based on an atherosclerosis measure. When used in combination with measurement of cardiovascular risk factors, things that you will ultimately turn back to to treat or to optimize to lower event risk. And so in 2010, there were both guidelines as well as new appropriateness criteria published on these modalities, specifically coronary calcium testing and carotid intimal medial thickness testing, or CIMT, for evaluation of subclinical disease. And there's guidelines, and guidelines state whether you should or should not do something. And then there's appropriateness criteria, which are more about when something is reasonable to do. And they sort of fill the gap between guidelines where there's lots of evidence and the absence of any clear statements based on what we should be doing. So AUCs or appropriateness criteria are a really important filler in our societal statements on what we should and should not be doing in medicine with respect to utilization of testing. So if we talk about the utilization of carotid IMT versus calcium scoring, tell us a little bit about what the appropriateness criteria say, and then maybe a little bit about what the guidelines say, which is, as you mentioned, have to be based on high levels of evidence. And so there might be a delay in what we do clinically versus what we can say in guidelines. And can you tell us the pluses and minuses of those two imaging modalities and what the recommendations are? Sure thing. Well, starting with the guidelines, in 2010, the American College of Cardiology put out an important guideline on cardiovascular risk screening for the initial assessment of cardiovascular risk and stated that coronary calcium testing was a 2A, that is, it is a reasonable test to do for the assessment of risk in patients who are at intermediate risk for coronary heart disease. So you can think of your middle-aged patient with one or two risk factors. And the same recommendation was given for carotid IMT, that is, a 2A, that the test is reasonable to do for assessment of risk. So that was the first time that both of those were given a 2A recommendation. The other 2A was in patients that are low risk but have a family history, a common difficult to quantify factor that doesn't factor into the Framingham risk calculations, for example. So low risk with family history was also considered as a 2A recommendation. 
and an appropriate recommendation for imaging. What kind of data regarding calcium score and CIMT is available to tell how predictive they are of future cardiovascular events? And then how does that compare to the traditional scoring systems, for example, Framingham score? Right. So the data are strong for both. And they're rather parallel with respect to the fact that both give us an independent assessment of risk for future coronary heart disease beyond standard risk factors. And for both, the risk is continuous. That is, the higher the level of atherosclerosis, the greater the risk. And there's now online calculators that you can put in your patient's risk factors as well as the imaging results, either with calcium scoring through the MESA website or with IMT through the ARIC, Atherosclerosis Risk and Communities website, and get an integrated assessment of risk, including the atherosclerosis measurement. So they both tests incrementally predict risk. And what's new is data, for instance, on calcium scanning showing that patients with calcium scores that are abnormal are more likely to get intensified treatment with, for instance, statins or aspirins or blood pressure-lowering agents. And that's really important to say that we're actually shifting treatment in community-based populations where the right patients are getting treatment optimization for prevention of events. Do you have a sense, Alan, about in these intermediate risk patients, which are usually the ones that you need to kind of further identify where they fall, how imaging would compare to novel risk factors such as LDL particle size or ApoB or particularly HSCRP that also has a lot of predictive data? Well, I think there's lots of tools out there, and people tend to use the tools that they have available to them. And fortunately, calcium scanning and IMT testing is getting more and more widespread in its availability and use. You know, that said, you'd like to think that extended biomarker testing would even add further Unfortunately, the data don't really point that out. For instance, in the MESA trial, adding CRP testing to calcium testing uh, was no better than adding calcium testing alone to standard risk factors. So, and in general, in the studies that have looked at imaging, imaging tends to be a much stronger predictor on a just head-to-head basis than any novel risk factor would be. So while I think you know, we need to continue to look for novel risk factors or risk factor panels, we do need to understand how they add. And not just add for assessment of risk, but add to the management of the patient. And that's something I think with biomarkers, which has not been widely appreciated, that it's not just about if they shift an ROC curve or they shift a C statistic or result in net you know, reclassification improvement, but that they actually change management in a meaningful way. And that change in management is measured and quantitated. So that's a standard to which I think new tests should be held and they are being held. And we have more data in that regard for imaging than we have with a lot of the new biomarkers. But short of those sort of data, the data that we do have suggests that you know, the biomarkers, at least, for example, the CRP example you gave, doesn't seem to add much to atherosclerosis testing. So if I were to ask you to tell our listeners, as physicians, things they need to know when they refer a patient for either calcium scoring or CIMT, So how do you pick the place to refer to for these tests? I think calcium testing is a little easier to approach in that it's a very standardized protocol for the assessment. The radiation exposure is low. The cost is very low. It's reimbursed by CMS and has a level one code. And also more and more insurance companies are providing it as a covered benefit. For instance, in our center, the test costs under $100. CMS provides similar reimbursement for this. So Wherever it's provided, I think you can send patients 
and the, the protocols are very standardized. And you need to look for those patients with, you know, no known heart disease, asymptomatic, so it's a screening situation, but they have intermediate risk, one or two risk factors in middle age, or they're young at low risk but have a family history. And those are the patients that are considered appropriate or have a 2A recommendation by the recent guidelines. IMT is maybe a little more boutique at this time, but it's growing quickly with the 2A recommendation from the ACC and now appropriateness criteria, which the Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging and Prevention uh, put out earlier this year. There's patient selection criteria that are available, and there you have to find a clinician that performs it in their office by either doing it themselves directly or through a, you know, a third-party vendor. Unfortunately, CMS has a level three code, not a level one code. It's not as broadly covered as a benefit, but its specific advantages are it doesn't provide opportunities for radiation exposure, even though that radiation exposure with calcium testing is low, and doesn't provide opportunities for incidental scan findings, such as CT scanning of the chest can result in. So I think the test, as I view it, calcium scanning more of a facility-based test, you know, a hospital-based test where a scanner would be located. IMT, you know, very similar line of thinking, but more of an office-based test, if you will. And I think as the tests move forward, that's how they'll be positioned and utilized. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss imaging guidelines and techniques for screening patients regarding their cardiovascular risk, as well as carotid IMT, is Dr. Alan Taylor, professor of medicine at Georgetown University and director of advanced cardiac imaging at the Washington Hospital Center and MedStar Research Health Institute. So, Alan, in the old days, some facilities used older CT, like spiral CT scanners that were kind of rigged up with software to do calcium scoring as opposed to electron beam or ultrafast CT scanning. What's the current state of the art, and does it matter? I think it does matter because it becomes a patient safety issue. The original technique was electron beam CT. It's now moved into the multi-detector CT era, which is the same CT scanner, which your hospital or facility is already doing cardiac CT imaging. But the technique matters because uh, properly done, and there were just guidelines published on this by Society of Atherosclerosis Imaging and Prevention in accord with the Society of Cardiovascular CT on how to optimally perform calcium testing with CT to minimize radiation exposure. You know, properly done using the right techniques, the radiation exposure should be somewhere below 3 millisieverts, and really properly done, the typical radiation exposure is well beneath 2 millisieverts, approaching 1 millisievert. And to put that in the context in terms of effective radiation dose so that clinicians know, the millisievert is the SI unit of effective radiation dose. And each year living in the U.S., we typically get between 3 and 5 millisieverts of radiation just through background. And so a calcium scan performed at one or one and a half millisieverts is the equivalent of anywhere from two and a half to four months of background radiation living in the U.S. So it's relatively nominal. It can't be ignored on a population basis. So we need the right patient selected, and that's where the patient selection criteria through appropriate use or guidelines is really important. But it's not so much to keep us from using the test, particularly now that we know as much as we do with respect to its incremental risk prediction value, as well as its ability to refine treatment of cardiovascular risk through 
for example, provision of aspirin, statins, and blood pressure-lowering agents in a better fashion. Can you talk to us briefly about the pluses and minuses of CT angiography of the coronaries? Since some people are sending their patients for the so-called non-invasive coronary angiogram with the uh, sense that this may be better than doing calcium scoring. I'm really glad you asked that question because we're not as far ahead in our understanding of what a CT angiogram could do for risk prediction as we are with calcium scanning. Calcium scanning has now nearly 20 years of data behind it. CT angiography, the technology is only now mature enough to begin to think about studying patients in a screening situation using, now that the radiation exposure can be low enough with CT angiography to open the question to be a reasonable one. You know, that said, we don't know what a CT angiogram will add. You know, this ability to find non-calcified plaque, it's not as easy as it sounds if you do this on a day-to-day basis. And it's just not clear that the finding of a non-calcified plaque versus a calcified plaque you'd find with a calcium scoring test has any value. Realize that a CT angiogram involves the administration of contrast, So now you have risk of contrast. It is higher radiation exposure, typically, by most techniques than a calcium scan. You know, again, there's a much greater potential for incomplete scans, artifacts, false positives, and downstream testing that I think we really need to understand. So I want to make a very strong statement that there's no guideline support for, at the moment, using CT angiography in asymptomatic patients. There are many opportunities in which CT angiography is felt to be an appropriate test. But very broadly, it's in symptomatic patients typically or those in whom there is uncertainty after other non-invasive tests like stress tests and so forth. So if you really want to think about it, bottom line, CT angiography is a test for symptomatic patients. Calcium scanning, IMT, are tests for asymptomatic patients in whom you're looking for the risk for coronary heart disease, not for the presence of coronary artery disease. So very different applications. And I think it'll be very interesting to watch the data evolve on CT angiography to see if extending our reach not beyond calcified plaque but into non-calcified plaque can further inform risk prediction. Uh, But at the moment, it's not close to ready for prime time. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Alan Taylor, Professor of Medicine at Georgetown University and Director of Advanced Cardiac Imaging at the Washington Hospital Center and MedStar Research Health Institute. Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for speaking with us and clarifying an issue that uh, has a lot of noise around it. I think you made it very clear for our listeners. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.